Welcome to No Finish Line, a podcast with John O'Regan, sponsored by Great Outdoors Dublin. Hello and welcome back to another episode of No Finish Line podcast featuring athlete interviews and discussion on running, training, travelling and adventure. And I'm your host, John O'Regan. This will be part five of the Jantastic Journey and also the 26th episode since the podcast started. We were hoping to be updating you all on Jan's progress, but a lot has happened since we last spoke. And because of the editing process and me being a one-man show, I've had to record the previous podcast in advance. And then when I publish them when they're finished, but because of the current situation, we thought it best to get things up to date. So we might go in a little bit of a different direction with this one. Jan, welcome back to the podcast. Thanks for having me, Jan. Since we last spoke, we heard that the Anglo-Celtic plate has been cancelled. It's not the only race that's been cancelled, as a lot of races have suffered the same fate. So you know how it feels, and listeners will know how it feels yourself, so you can kind of empathise with people who are listening in. Can you tell us what you were doing since you got that news, or how did you take the news? Yeah, it's um, kind of it's, it's a good question. It's not an easy time, I suppose, for for everybody. Um, like you're training for something that's expected to happen, and then these are just crazy times that I suppose nobody expected to happen. Um, so. I suppose what I've been doing is trying to stay positive as best I can. And um, like I could have just sat down and decided, right, that's it. And just I'm going to take it easy now and I'll start back again later on. But I've actually decided to keep tr- the training plan going, although I'm going to adapt it just slightly because obviously I don't want to keep up high mileage from now till possibly whenever it might come back on. Um, so I'm just kind of slightly adapting it to to still keep the fitness there. Um, because I suppose at this stage I don't want to stop um, what I was doing because I want to be able to bank um, kind of what I have there and build on it as well um, because like this is a chance I suppose for to be ready for when a race actually does come up because albeit it might not be the Anglo-Celtic plate that comes up first it could be a marathon it could be a half marathon and if I had a setback and wasted 16 weeks or two months or however long this is going to, to go on for um, and then realise oh god I don't, I'm not ready for this race now I'd be kicking myself more um, for that rather than kind of um, if I if I keep going and just keep the fitness there yeah, I suppose it's better to be prepared for the opportunity and it not happen than to not be prepared and then the opportunity does happen. And that's going to come into effect now whenever the races do start coming back onto the scene. Most of the races that have been postponed, they have dates penciled in for the end of the summer going from September, October into November. So I reckon that when we do get the all clear that races can start to happen again, that you will start to see an influx of other races appearing on the scene. So it is best to be ready and be prepared to hit the ground running. Yeah, because it's not as if they're never going to happen. Um, they will happen again. Um, and as you said, that they're all going to come um, kind of twofold as well. They're all going to come up together. So... But I suppose within running anyway, there's a lot of uncertainty in running anyway, because you could have an injury, um, you could have an awful race, you could be sick coming up to a race. So I'm kind of looking at it in that way that if I had any of these, this is my opportunity to build on any weaknesses that maybe I possibly had, um, whether that's strength training, really focusing on my nutrition um, and kind of just making sure that I'm 100% fit and healthy for when that race comes. So I suppose in one way for people who were ready to race, um, yeah, I can understand definitely 100% because obviously I'm in that same boat. But for people who are injured, it's probably for them, it's a silver lining because now it's given them the opportunity that they will get to race that race um, that they possibly didn't think that they were going to get to race. Um, so I suppose it's kind of it's a, a win lose win lose whatever way you really look at it yeah and I think it's important to pick out the positives as well when they are there yeah uh, and with the current mood at the moment it's probably a good idea to stay exercising and if you have yourself focused on something that makes the exercise that bit easier so like what you said there it's a good idea to stay training for the event that you've been training for even though you're not going to have it 
because it's easier to do what you need to do when you have something to focus on. Exactly. And then even at that, like if people are finding it hard to get out because um, the motivation is probably gone because um, they're like, oh, why would I go out now and run 20 miles if my race is not going to happen? Um, but just think of that race that um, will come up and that you will be even more ready for it than you are now um, and that you can work maybe on some of those negative thoughts that were possibly slipping into your head as well, that you can work on kind of training yourself to not have those um, thoughts as well. So that would be good because I suppose, especially around racing, there's definitely um, no certainty about it. Um, so all we can do is just be better prepared now. And I've seen a lot of negativity floating about on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, people complaining about race being cancelled and they're saying that the training is wasted. A lot of this is going to be energy draining stuff, but the training isn't wasted. No, it's not. But then as well, you have to look at it from the race director's side as well. Like That's going to be a huge administration nightmare for them. Um, if you think of it, like if they've had races that they can't even um, run this year now that they're going to have to move to next year, they would have gotten merchandise. They would have all of that stuff. They'll have to worry about trying to get um, like police in, in place, stewards, all of that as well that they already had in place. So like the. I suppose, yeah, for us, we've been doing the training, but then as well, in order for us to be able to race those races, there's a lot of background work that goes on as well that we all kind of forget about. Um, and it's only kind of when you start to see them all scrambling, trying to, to get it, a race going ahead again, especially for the World Martin Majors. Like, that's a huge, huge um, administration nightmare for them trying to do it. And they are trying to be fair. They're, if they are moving it to a date that's not suitable for people, they are saying you can have... Um, certain ones are saying you can have a refund or you can move it to the following year and then in the end that might actually suit people better that it is being moved out further because maybe they weren't ready for the race when it was coming up um, and like as I said earlier for anybody who's injured now is their opportunity that they will get to race um, please God when, when it does happen Listening to the way you're talking there it sounds that like you have accepted the situation do you find that that makes it easier to move forward? Yeah, and like, don't get me wrong, when I found out that it was cancelled, I was gutted um, because obviously it was going to be my debut in an Irish jersey, um, one of my big dreams to, to do that. Um, so I could have sat down and just said, right, that's it. And then just decided, right, I'm just going to take a break for a while and do it that way. But I said, no, I'm not going to because I've put in a lot of work and I've done a lot of sacrifices as well. Um, my coach um, has done a lot of work as well in the background. So um, I was kind of like, no, I could, I'm not going to sit back and, and waste any of this. I'm going to actually use it to my advantage um, and keep my fitness going as well. So um I'm quite happy. And then I suppose as well, during these times as well, because I'm working from home now, it's great to be able to get out of the house. It's just nice to be able to just put on the runners and just go for a run and just clear the head. Um, obviously, obeying the social distancing and, and going on my own um, is another thing because where I used to run, I've had to stop going to the, those places now because they're just so busy uh, with people. Um, everybody just seems to, to be out now, um, which is kind of scary in one way, um, but good in another because you're seeing people are actually being active. But um, the social distancing is becoming a bit hard for certain. So I've changed up routes. Um, but yeah, for me, I just I just keep going out and run. And it might just be that it's an easy run um, rather than a specific session just to, to clear the head and you're away from the computer for a while. And it's very, very good for your mental wellness at this time. Yeah, definitely it is as well. It just takes your mind off it. I, I just like to go out and just run and just clear the head. And like it might only be 5k, 10k, um, but still it's just enough just to get me out the door. And how are you coping with running alone now at the moment rather than running with a group? For the long runs, it's a little bit harder because I've always been used to that there's a group of us, whether it be for part of the run or for for the entire run. Um, but then as well, I suppose I did do a lot of running anyway on my own. So I kind of just got used to it, especially when I'd be doing a lot of early morning runs into work. Um, I'd be doing them on my own. So it, it's not that it's a huge um, kind of change for me, um, but it's definitely harder 
um, because I used to just, we'd have a group and we'd just put up a message who's up for a long run at the weekend. That's kind of dried up a little bit now. So it's kind of, it's it's hard to see it. And even when we see our other club mates when we're out running as well, it's kind of hard that you're you're waving from the opposite side of the road for them or you're running <laughs> a good bit away from them as well. But that's what we have to do if we want things to go back to the way they were. Yeah, and I think the sooner that we all do it, um, not just runners, everybody, um, we all have to do it together. And the sooner we all obey by what's been asked of us to do, the sooner we're out of this um, and we can get back to our normal lives. And it's very important, I think, that we do follow these rules and guidelines that will be set down by our own Athletics Association and also from the HSE. Actually, our own Athletics Association is following guidelines from the HSE. It's important not to be congregating in groups and going for group runs because that's how this virus is being spread. We're the host. It's us that move it and it's us that transfer it. It doesn't move on its own. It's relying on the host to actually spread it around. So it's very important at this time that you don't invite others to take part in sessions with you if you have problems running on your own. We just had to be disciplined for the next couple of weeks and hopefully then we can go back to doing our group training sessions. Yeah, and there's a lot of virtual runs now that have been put up as well, um, which is good to kind of keep the motivation going. So like they'd be things for people to look out for as well. Um, there's loads that have been put up on Instagram and, and Facebook of all these virtual runs and you can upload your runs and kind of have competitions against your friends and, and stuff like that as well. So um, there are ways around it um, and this should be definitely something if you do struggle um, to look into to doing. Are you wishing you had a treadmill now? Yeah, in case we go into lockdown, I am. Because, but I refuse to pay the money that they'd be uh, all up for now. You wait till this is all over and then I'll buy a second hand one then and I'll keep it in the shed. Regards to virtual runs, I'm not a fan of virtual races myself, but I do think you can set yourself a virtual target, which is, again, following a training plan for the race that you are planning on doing or some kind of a race in the future, even if it's not going to be there. Pick a date. Have that as your race date, even if you're not going to do it, even if there's no race there. Because when you have a why to do something, it's easier to come up with a how to do it. And that's when you can put together some kind of a training plan. So have a virtual target, even if there's nothing there, because you have to know where you're going in order to get there. Yeah, and then this is a good chance as well, as I said, to, to work on any weaknesses you have or things that you didn't have time for as well. So while you mightn't be doing the big miles that you did for your running as well, maybe it's just the time to start taking up a, a strength class or yoga or Pilates. Like there's plenty of them now being put up um, through Zoom and live on Instagram. Um, and a majority of them are free because um, they're trying to get people to stay active. So this is our opportunity to be actually doing something that's been offered for free rather than paying for it. Yeah, that sounds like a good idea. And I would say that if you are following something online, make sure you are looking at something reputable. Same goes if you're looking at something on YouTube because you need to get it right when you're doing it on your own and you don't have somebody there to correct you. And if you do something wrong and you keep doing it wrong, then you get very efficient at doing it wrong. Whereby it's better to be doing the right thing but kind of getting that slightly wrong than doing the wrong thing and getting better at doing the wrong thing wrong. Yeah, that's... Now that sounds a bit confusing (laughs) but it goes with running drills. You don't want to get efficient at doing the wrong thing by practicing the wrong thing in the wrong way. I suppose then maybe do a beginner's, complete beginner's and just make sure. And maybe an idea would be to watch the video first before you even do it. And then kind of go from go from there then. Yeah, there are lots of resources out there. And if you go to the Athletics Ireland website, you should have access to videos of running drills and other suitable strength and conditioning type work. Now, what I think of it, we have a few questions that were sent in today. So can we try and answer a couple of those? Do you have them? Yeah, I have some here. I suppose the first one I can direct at your yourself because okay. uh, this is something that I suppose is more geared for you because you've done these mad 24-hour races um, is that what would be your sleep and rest strategies for a 24-hour race? Okay, good question. My sleep strategy for a 24-hour race would be get as much sleep as you can in the week leading up to the race. Try and 
go to bed as early as you can the night before the night before. Because generally speaking, the night before the race is the one that's going to be the trickiest. The morning of the race, get up as late as you possibly can. It would be great if you could wake without an alarm clock. And then you don't think about sleeping until the race is over and you go back to your accommodation. During a 24-hour race, sleeping is not something that should be part of your race plan. How does that sound? That sounds mad, but I suppose, yeah, if you want to be getting as many miles in as, as possible in 24 hours, you don't want to be having a If you stay nap. moving, you won't have the urge to go to sleep. Yeah, and then if you I suppose if you're resting, as you say, the good week beforehand, then yeah. it should. It so you should be at the start line not suffering from any form of sleep deprivation. In the same way as your muscles should be fully loaded with that glycogen, that you should be wide awake and ready to go. And it's only one day out of your life. But bear in mind, a 24-hour race, if it starts at 12 o'clock and you get out of bed at 8 o'clock, that's another four hours. So that's 24 hours of the race plus the four hours beforehand. That's 28 hours. Then when the race finishes, you're going to be hanging around for a while. So before you know it, there's another four to six hours. So 24 hours can easily become 36 hours, which is a day and a half. So bear that in mind whenever you're taking part in something like this, that it's not just the 24 hours of the race, it's the before and after. So try and stay off your feet and don't do anything too strenuous or stressful beforehand. Sounds good. Won't be something that I'll be trying. Not yet, anyway. <laughs> Not yet. But you said that about 50k. Yeah, that's, that is true. That is true. You're a bad influence. And what about the second question? <laughs> um, the second question is, what would be my favourite marathon? Um, okay, so I've kind of got two here. Um, and my favourite overall is definitely Dublin. Um, it's by far the friendliest marathon that I've ever done. Um, I, because I've, I have done London as well, although the crowds are a lot bigger there as well. It definitely is nowhere near as friendly. It's actually more, I found it more scary than I did friendly. Um, so that was kind of a, a bit of a, an odd one because I did think London was probably going to be better. Um, just the atmosphere around Dublin, um, anytime I've done it has been amazing and the people really get you through and especially uh, coming up near the finish line, if you feel like your legs are going to fall off, it's great get, having those cheers um, coming up. Um, I suppose for scenery wise, Donegal would be the best I've done. I've done four marathons in four days, um, uh, which was unbelievable. Um, and is that called the Donegal Marathon? No, it's extreme north. Um, so it's a guy that he done um, uh, extreme north up in Donegal and you do all the four different heads of, of Donegal. At the Quadratron? Yes, the Quadratron. Yeah, so I went up one year and I'd done the four halves and I thought, God, God, what am I going to do? There's no way I'll finish these. Is um, that the Eightathons? The eight of tons. No, no. You all start. You see what happens for this one is it's it was really small when I suppose when it started off, um, and when we went up, we done the four halves and we got hooked on it because the atmosphere was unbelievable and the views were something that you just you, it was like you were in another country, and then we decided, right, we've seen the medal for the four fulls and we said, right, that's it, we're going back and we're going to get those that big medal because they're really kind of quirky type medal where they all connect into each other. Um, so we went back and we decided to do the four marathons in four days. Um, it's since gone on now where you can actually run it in 24 hours um, and you can do 100Ks and he he's added on all these mad stuff now to it as well. Um, but yeah, the, for the views, that it was unbelievable and it was great we just hired a house and every day you go to a different stop and you'd see different parts of Donegal that I would never see you even just from driving it was just yeah unbelievable now when you say mad it's only mad for somebody who doesn't understand what's going on so I'd say most of the people who are probably listening in it won't be mad it would be more attractive yeah, it is. And it's not like a race race. It's not like you're Dublin or you're London or anything like that, because you're going up mountains here. Um, so it's kind of it's more kind of it's an endurance 
and a, a social kind of thing as well. Um, so, yeah, it's definitely something to, if anybody wants it, I'd put it on a bucket list. If you're not looking to do anything kind of for, for times, um, it would definitely be something that I'd uh, go on and have a look at. So if you just look up Extreme North, um, you'll, you'll see the events there that um, he has. Next question. Um, the next question is uh, from one of our own clubmates, um, Emer. She has asked about in the panic of a lockdown, what would you do for fitness um, if you were afraid that you're going to lose your fitness, that we're not allowed outside the door? So I suppose in that, that's where the treadmill comes in. <laughs> if you had a treadmill uh, or a turbo trainer. Because I know Emer um, loves to cycle as well. So if you had a turbo trainer, you could um, possibly use that as well. Um, if your house is big enough, run around your house. A man in China ran a marathon in his house. So you could do something like that. A friend of mine who was on one of the other podcasts, Andy Reynolds, he did a marathon in his back garden a few years ago. There you go. We'll all be, if anyone gets a drone above a load of houses. He you... told me the time he did it. And I said to him, I wouldn't go telling anybody else he did that. <laughs> now it doesn't sound so crazy. Um, but yeah, I suppose that would be my take on it. If you did, if you have any equipment or like do strength work, you can do Zumba in your house. You can do on YouTube videos of... No, you can't uh, do Zumba in your house, John. Can you not? Okay. You mentioned the turbo trainer. Ian Keith has mentioned he uses the turbo trainer. Brian Buckley uses it and so does Barry Hartnett and they're all very strong trail runners. They have said that it has helped with their climbing strength. So the turbo trainer, if you have a bike, that would be something to consider. Yeah, be a really handy idea if you had something like that. Well, with me, I think if there was a lockdown, I wouldn't get too concerned over it. I think they'd still let certain people, that I still think you might be allowed out to an extent. Um, I know, isn't it, I think California or something they have that you're allowed to do 5K or, or something silly like that. Or um, I'm not sure. But it's, I suppose it depends on how extreme they do the lockdown. Well, me personally, I'd be more concerned with my health than my fitness because it's easier to reclaim your fitness than it is your health. And if you have a training mentality, no matter how much of a break you've had, it's always easy to start back again. Health-wise, it's harder to reclaim that. So I wouldn't be overly concerned about being stuck to my house or, or my own area for a couple of days or weeks. I'd be okay with that. Yeah, it's probably a good time for you to, to rest and recover as well. Just stay away from the fridge. And listen to a bit of music. Yeah, exactly. Speaking of music... I usually ask people what music they listen to, what would be on their iPad. I've never asked you that. Because you probably don't want to know what's on my, <laughs> my playlist. It's definitely not what you listen to anyway, that's for sure. Right. So uh, I love a bit of... Uh, oh, well, hang on, do you want to maybe show me first? Do I? No. Give us one song, what's your favourite song? Uh, well, I love Anything by Pink. Okay, right, next question. <laughs> um, my favourite pre-race meal. Um, so... Without fail, I'd always have a chicken stir fry, homemade chicken stir fry um, every time before any race. That's kind of what I'd go now to. Now, let's elaborate on that a bit. So pre-race meal, when do you have that as your pre-race meal? What's the timing? I'd have that, uh, normally I'd have that about half six, seven. That's the timings I was having it at, but they're obviously now going to change. Now, is that in the morning or the night before? Oh, the night before, oh, yeah. Right. And then on the morning of the race, what's the last thing you would eat then? I would have a banana before the race starts. Um, so when I get up that morning, my ritual is always I'd have some toasts with Nutella um, and banana on it and black tea. Um, or it could be a bagel. I could have that as well. Um, and then I'd also then just have another kind of small banana with me um, before the race. Um, that I would have but now with the new nutritional plan that's going to change where I'll be taking on some carbohydrate drinks um, as well as my breakfast as well just make sure I'm properly fueled up because obviously um, going into 100k I need a lot more than than what I was having um, a marathon you might get through it but still you want to be getting better time so um, I'm going to start taking on carbohydrate drinks and um, that would be kind of what I'd be taking. 
So let's say your race is at 11 o'clock and you've a 30 minute drive to your race. Give us the timings of those foods you just mentioned and what time would you get up at? For me, for a race, if it was at 11, I'd be probably getting up about seven and having my breakfast as soon as I kind of get up before I'd even get dressed. I'd be having it then um, just to give it enough time to settle in the stomach and um, to make sure that I, I have it. Um, even though the race would be 30 minutes away from me, I'd still like to get there a lot earlier than that, obviously, to make sure that I'm parked, that I have everything, uh, that my runners are OK, that I've got my race bib on. I know where the start line is um, and also. So then it's important then to obviously to get the warm up and then toilet breaks. So if you wanted to go to use the bathroom beforehand, you know yourself when you turn up to a race, there's always a big queue. And so I'd always make sure that I've allowed myself enough time to if I needed to go to the bathroom again. Um, So I suppose it kind of it's always I try and eat about two to three hours, depending on the distance, two to three hours before um, I'd actually go and I'd I'd run um, and then just obviously try and get to the race as early as possible um, so that I can obviously get myself prepped. And now because I'll have the carbohydrate drink that I'll be drinking at the same time along before the race, um, that should help me make sure that I'm, I'm completely fueled up before it. I was in Romania last year for a race with Katrina Jennings. She was taking part in the 50 kilometre World Championships. And the morning of the race, Katrina was up at five o'clock for a run before her breakfast. I think the race might have started at nine. So we went out and we did a five kilometre run and then went back to the hotel, got ready, race ready. And then we had our breakfast before heading to the race. So that was her routine. So Katrina always goes for a run before her breakfast, before the race. And I would guess that part of the reason for that is that carbohydrate uptake into the muscles is an exercise-induced response. So by doing a little bit of exercise, it means that the muscles are more receptive to carbohydrate storage. Would you ever run before a race? No. I've ne- well, the warm-up, that would be it, but never to that. But it's definitely something that if someone of Katrina's stature is doing something like that, it wouldn't be something that I'd I'd knock and it definitely could be something that maybe it's incorporated into my own plans. And Katrina was in episode one of the podcast. Actually, she was the first podcast I did. And the morning we went out for that run, we came across a, a bear. And I bet you that made you run fast. Well, it did, yeah. <laughs> Katrina saw the bear and we were at the bend of a road. And I was unsure that the bear was actually there. So I went up a little bit further. And there was standing out in the road in front of us. So we turned and just got back to the hotel fairly quickly. I bet you Katrina got back first because you had to she be did, nosy. Yeah, she did. <laughs> See, that's the problem. Yeah, she's the fastest. Yeah. Next question. Uh, another question was, would I like to be an elite athlete? And uh, my answer to that would be, hell yeah, I would. Um, I would definitely like to be um, an elite athlete or a professional athlete. Um, it's definitely something I'm very passionate about. Whether it'll happen, I, I don't know. Um, I'd like to think that it, it could. It, obviously, now I'm ticking on to 40, so it mightn't be as long-lived as some of the, the younger people coming up. But um, even look, I'd, I'd be just happy to just be putting the Ireland jersey on for a couple of outings and, and doing well in it. Um, so I'd be very, very happy with that. But I suppose if I was to look back um, when I was younger, then, yeah, I definitely would have tried to have done it first. Um, but I'd still love to, my dream jobs, I suppose, would be to work like with Sports Ireland or Athletics Ireland or even with the Olympics. Um, that would be my dream um, to do something like that now um, where it mightn't involve obviously being as physical, but can work in the background to help others um, achieve those dreams. This is Tony into a job interview. Yeah, it is. So if anybody's out there who works for them wants to hire me, I'm available. Now, you mentioned in your fourth podcast that you came from a soccer background. If you had a choice now, would it be soccer or running? What would, you, what would your love be? Oh, now that's a tough question. Very tough question. I suppose they're both at different times. If you were to have asked me that years ago, I would have said soccer. And you're looking at it now, definitely be the running. I suppose for the running, I have more control over it. 
Um, so that's kind of what I like. I have um, a lot more control over the soccer. You you don't. I was a goalkeeper. So obviously I'd take a lot of hits. Um, so I wasn't able to kind of, I was able to look after myself, but not look after myself at the same time because obviously I couldn't be pulling out of tackles. Um, so, but for this, um, now I have more control over how I'm feeling and, and obviously um, that I can get out and, and run and, and keep myself fit and, and healthy. And the goalkeeper can be the most loved person on the pitch or the most hated person Yeah. in the space of two weeks, two games. Oh yeah, definitely. Yeah, definitely. And then I used to, my coach used to always say I was the one that made him bald because I was always the one that was never standing on the line. I always was nearly like a fourth defender um, coming out. But I also played outfield as well. He said it was a secret weapon um, because nobody thought that a goalkeeper could play. So when I came out and I was fast, um, nobody would mark me. Um, so when the ball would be given to me, I'd be up the other end and I'd, I'd be scoring. So it was kind of a dual kind of player. So that bit of uh, leg speed that you had probably made the transition to running that little bit easier as well. Yeah, it did because that's what coaches always say to me that um, I just had all this energy and I'd just be running up and down um, the field. Um, so he always like certain matches he'd he'd let me out to to try and tire me out a little bit. Another question that came in was, with the Anglo-Celtic play being postponed, how will your training change? Uh, well, the blocks that we would have had are going to change now. So where at the moment I had just come out of the Pacific training and I was going into my kind of peak block and um, that's going to obviously change because I don't want to be peaking now for a race that's not going to be happening in, in May. Um, so what we probably do is build a bit more on endurance um, at this stage um, just to kind of get a bit more leg strength. And then kind of just tweak it as we go on, because obviously we still don't know when the race is possibly going to be moved to or, or anything like that. So um, I suppose it's probably going to be more kind of on the endurance side. And then we might head back into some more Pacific training as well. So maybe back into doing some hill training. And it's given you a bit more time to strengthen that base. Yeah, exactly. So, and then it's kind of as well, it's kind of not that I can take the, the foot off the pedal, but I suppose I won't be putting as much um, pressure on myself as well. So if there was a time where I felt like I wanted a day off to, to go and spend it with family or, or whatever it might be, obviously, when we're allowed to do so, I'd be able to, to do that and not feel guilty, I suppose, as well, that I'm having to, to cancel something. So it's kind of good on that side of things as well. So what really happened now is this race being postponed has given us a bit more time to concentrate on the base of the pyramid. So we are focusing on your general endurance and general speed as would be part of the Steve Magnus periodization type plan. If anyone's not familiar with Steve Magnus, I would suggest you check out the book, The Science of Running. That's uh, well worth a read. And I suppose another question I have here then is as well is what would be my favourite uh, running shoes? Um, so I suppose the ones that I run in a lot, which would be 90% of the time, would be my New Balance. Um, I just love New Balance runners. Um, it was my very first um, proper running shoe um, that I got. I got um, a gait analysis done, which is also very important um, to make sure that you're getting done and um, that you don't just buy a pair of runners because they they look good or um, they're the, the fad that everybody has. Um, so I definitely advise to go to a, a good running shop and get it, um, get yourself, get a gait analysis and um, get yourself checked out. But I suppose when I went and I got my first pair of runners is when I went into the running shop, they put five pairs of runners in front of me. They didn't ha show me the prices on any of them and they asked me to try them all on. And this was after my gait analysis. So the, the runners were specific for kind of my style of running. And when I went out and I ran in them, I kept coming back to the New Balance ones. 
Um, and then finally at the end when they were the ones that I had picked the girl kept saying to me now it has to be that they're comfortable for you um, don't be worrying about the price so I said no my luck I've probably picked the most expensive pair um, but I didn't I actually had picked um, the middle of the range ones which were the, the New Balance and I always thought New Balance were just casual shoes I never actually knew that they were running shoes because I suppose when I was coming into running Asics were the big ones for, for people to be wearing um, and Ciccone and, and Brooks as well um, so when I got the New Balance ones they were um, my, by far my favourites so they were the Zanti um, New Balance Zantis and I absolutely loved them and I, I continued to buy them um, I have a lot of running runners um, that's probably my vice So you do buy them, you don't have a shoe sponsor? No, no shoe sponsor it would be nice because I go through quite a lot of them um, definitely would be nice um, because yeah I do spend quite a lot of money I, I suppose I probably spend more <laughs> money on my running runners than I do anything else and I have more running runners than I do casual shoes as well so uh, there you go so I have no problem spending 200 euros or so on a pair of runners but then I laugh at my friend who probably spends the same on a pair of Louis Vuittons or something like that so, uh, but yeah, New Balance would definitely be um, my preferable ones. I find that they're just comfortable and they're nice and light. And the running shoe is probably the most important part of your race kit. Oh yeah, hundred percent. Because if like if you get the wrong running shoe, and you start getting blisters, toenails, um, your knees, hips, back, everything will start to hurt. So that's why I'd 100% say go to a proper running shop, not just the bigger running stores that have all kind of started to do it. I'd go to a specific running shop who actually know what they're talking about um, and that you're getting assessed on it properly. And I'd advise maybe even do that once a year as well because everyone's running form can change. So it's important that you're obviously making sure that that's all right because as well if you're starting to pick up injuries as well it's important that you go and you make because for an example I was wearing a pair of insoles in my runners before I got my gait analysis because I was told I had fallen arches but then when I actually went and got it done they said to me well, why are you wearing those and I said oh because a certain running shop told me to or sport shop told me to wear these and then um, I actually didn't need them and they would have caused me problems down the line if I'd continued to wear them so that's why it's important. Well, that's a good point about going back and getting checked out again, because as your runners start to wear, your body starts to adapt to the new shape that they're taking on. And if you leave it too long, you will end up having to go trying to correct that. And that leads to more problems. Yeah. And then it's like, I obviously a joke and saying about the amount of runners I have and then all my friends and family definitely know I do but the reason why I'd have so many is as well is I'd have lighter ones for shorter races and then I'd also alternate my my runners so I'd never wear the same pair of runners the next day um, after wearing them the night before and then obviously with the Irish weather they get wet so it's always handy to have an extra pair there as well so I have obviously ones for a longer distance then as well that add more support. And like we say, the runners are the most important part. And then with the rest of your gear, you're kind of fine tuning it. That's you're going for comfort there, but it's not as important as the running shoes. Exactly. Yeah. Like yeah, obviously, if whatever you wear, like I like wearing shorts and um, singlets um, or t-shirts, um, they're all add-ons um, and they can easily be changed. Um, but definitely, um, your runners are the most important thing that you, you're you're going to invest in. So I'd advise to make sure that um, you definitely get it checked out. Any more questions? Have I ever had any injuries? Um, and yes, I have. I've had a couple of injuries. Um, a lot of them, though, they were down to um, when I played soccer. So I'd be getting, obviously, as I said, I was a goalkeeper. Um, and I had two knee surgeries. Um, I had what they called a, a bucket handle tear is probably the English term to it. Um, 
in my knee ligaments and but thankfully I had a really good surgeon so he sorted that out and funny enough that actually hasn't affected me when I was running and um, maybe that's down to because I've gotten the correct shoes that I've been doing it um, but coming up to the 50k I start just to gone there in Dundee I was starting to have some ankle niggles and I couldn't figure out what it was because I was like I've got new runners it's, that's not it I don't feel like I've gone over on it just couldn't understand and it started to swell so I went to see a physio and the physio said that what had happened is, is that I'd had a slight tear in my calf and it had leaked down into my ankle and so it was causing some discomfort um, but after three sessions with him um, it went away and it was great So because uh, I was concerned going into Donaghy that that was going to affect me. I can remember when you had that ankle issue and you stopped training. You didn't train through it. You went and you knew something was wrong and you went and sorted the problem. Yeah, straight away. I knew that there was I knew something wasn't right because I'm not one that suffers with injuries, thankfully. Um, so when I said it to you straight away and then when I went to the physio and he said, I know it's going to be hard. And with a race coming up, he said, the only way that this is going to stop is that you you rest. Um, so as hard as it was, I did it. Um, and then I turned up on race day and it never affected me and it hasn't since. It's very encouraging to know that you have had knee surgery and have come back from that to become a better athlete than you possibly were beforehand. What age were you when you had the knee surgery? I was actually 20, coming into my 30s. So it was, it was the second time when I had had it done. Um, so yeah, so it was yeah, just in my 30s I'd had it. So the fact that you had surgery in your 30s and rather than it being something that ended your sporting career, it might have led you in a different direction and you are now running faster and further than you've ever run. Yeah, exactly. And because I was concerned that um, it would affect me and that I wouldn't be able to run and that the pounding would uh, kind of aggravate it. Um, but not once since I've started running have I had any knee problems, thankfully. Um, so... I definitely put it down to obviously correct running form, making sure that I'm running right and running with my proper shoes as well, alternating them around. Um, and then I take um, glucosamine tablets as well, so which will help um, my bone strength as well. Um, and then also I drink a lot of milk as well, so um, for the calcium as well to protect my bones. So I kind of look after it in that way. Maybe if I was to have still stayed in the soccer, would it have? Possibly, yeah, because of all the twisting and turning. And obviously, but being a goalkeeper, you're diving and then you've got people coming in um, tackling as well. So there's more of a, I suppose, a, a chance of getting more injuries that way. Um, but I suppose, as I said, with the running, I've kind of got more control over it. So like that, coming up to the 50k, I knew something was wrong and I was able to stop. And you didn't wait until you were properly broken. As soon as you knew something was wrong, you got it fixed. Yeah. And that's the most important thing because most people try and just run through it. They go, it'll be grand. It'll go away. Um, and I suppose, yeah, I did do that at the start, kind of for the first couple of days, because I did think, oh, sometimes it's just be, it's pre-race nerves and it's a little niggle and it's not going, um, it'll go away. Um, but this this was different. This wasn't your kind of when you come into your taper and you start getting all these niggles. This um, was actually quite sore. So and then when I seen the swelling, I knew there was definitely something wasn't right. Yeah, it's very important to get away from that old school mentality of no pain, no gain. Pain is your body's way of telling that something is wrong. And with experience, you get to know the difference between pain from just muscle fatigue and working hard and the pain of an injury. I would usually say that if you have something that is one-sided and localised, chances are that's going to be an injury. But if you have a pain that's spread out, say if, if the pain is on both of your quads around the same areas, that's probably as a result of doing the activity. If it's on one quad in one particular area, the other one is okay, chances are that's going to be an injury. That's more of an imbalance. And that's when I would get concerned. Next question. Um... The next question I have is, what do I hope to achieve from running? Um, so I suppose for that one, um, I believe that I've already achieved a lot in my running as it is, because um, before I started running, I never thought I'd run 5K. 
Now I'm going to stop you for a sec. I'd say you've got to the point where you can start achieving. Yeah, I can definitely start achieving more. I have achieved a lot already, but there's definitely a lot more to achieve. Getting under three hours, I think that was a big milestone. Yeah. And once you did that, you know you can do it. Yeah. It's like when the foreman and mile was broken for the first time. You don't know you can do it until you can do it. And now when you're under three hours, it's just times after that. And you know now that when you do the training and you progressively layer sessions onto sessions and have a look at the performance indicators, that that's telling you that you do have the potential to achieve what you set out to achieve. Yeah, and then that I can, set, I suppose, set myself more goals um, and then kind of and just aim for those ones as well, because obviously I never thought that I would actually ever get to the sub three. And then finally, when it happened, um, it's a huge confidence boost. So and then I, another goal was that I obviously got selected for Ireland and I did. So it just goes to show that if you put your mind to it, these things will 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 come to you. Um, obviously, yeah, you, you do have to work for them as well they don't they won't just land on your on, on your lap and plus what you didn't realize at the time was when you were doing the 50k that the time that you achieved was the international lay standard so that makes you eligible to be selected for the 50k as well but that all depends on a lot of factors whether it's going to go ahead and if they're sending a team but you do have the standard yeah, so like you start to achieve things without even realizing that sometimes that have, will open many more doors. Um, and that's kind of what I always set out to be. Like I always said, I wanted to, to run for Ireland when I got selected or to run my first marathon. So I've started to knock all of these things off now. So um, I suppose there I've obviously come up with more um, as I'm going along, obviously to get support from um, some athletics brands would be a, a great achievement as well um, to obviously to help me along on that journey. Um, and fingers crossed they, that could be the next thing. And as a reminder, what was the finish time of your first marathon? 3.43.44. And your second one? It was 3.23.28. And then your third one was that was a year in Dublin again, three fifty two fifty one. But in that one, I was very ill. Okay, don't be making excuses. <laughs> it's very ill. <laughs> it just shows that you have been progressing gradually. Yeah, because then, like the year after that one, where I was very sick and I didn't think I was going to finish, I done three o four fifteen. What's happened there is you were training for your first marathon and then you started to apply some structure and become more consistent. So that is reassuring for people to know that if you put the work in, you are going to improve. Not everybody will get under three hours, but there is always room for improvement once you put the work in. Oh yeah, 100%. Because I definitely, when I even went, I didn't know when I went into the first marathon, I had trained and I had done the work and stuff like that. And myself and my friend Amy, we were aiming for the four hours or just slightly under it. So to get 3.43 on our first marathon, we were absolutely delighted because we thought, oh my goodness, like this is is brilliant. Um, so then I was kind of like said, right, well, God, if we did that with that type of training, if we went and did more training, um, not necessarily volume wise, but more specific training. Um, could we um, get better than that again? And obviously then we did. We went and got 3.23. So um, like that just goes to show that, yeah, definitely if you put the work in and um, you'll get the rewards at the end of it. Now, I have a question. How do you stay motivated? I stay motivated for my family because they put up with a lot um obviously the sacrifices of everything um so i'm like well if i'm going to be out running um all of this and i'm getting the support that i do from my family um and they're allowing me to do it i kind of say to myself well okay if i'm going to give up all this time um from being with them then i'm going to obviously to put it uh, put the work in but then as well it's seeing the times that i'm getting as well motivates me and it pushes me or if I see other um, athletes like Katrina Jennings and Laura O'Driscoll and, and stuff like that doing and Camille doing these amazing times um, I look at them and go God I wouldn't mind to be up there in, with that calibre as well um, so that kind of motivates me as well to, to keep going as well And what you said there all sounds very motivating and easy to follow but what about the day when I called you to say the race is being cancelled? 
How did you motivate yourself that day and the next day? Well, I said, I you know, I have to say I was, I was absolutely gutted um, that it happened because you'd called me just after I'd finished the session. <laughs> so I was oh, like, good timing, so. good, yeah, it was good time. I was always like, good God, I've just gone and I've, I've gone and smashed the session. And then he turns around and tells me, well, actually, the race you've just done that for isn't done. Um, but I suppose like we've put in a lot of work, so um I just, I don't want it to go to waste. I've got that fitness there now. So I just, I really want to build on it. And maybe this was a sign that this is an opportunity for me to get stronger so that when I go into the race, I will be even stronger going into it and, and get a bit more confident. Don't get me wrong. I'm not positive all the time. There's definitely days where I'm just like, oh, good God, I don't want to go back out again. But I've got good um, friends around me that um, motivate me to get out the door. Um, obviously, before all the the COVID-19 and stuff like that we'd always have my buddy Stevie had dropped me a text and as long as I know if somebody is waiting on me gets me out the door um, to do it or if I know that um, I have something on it'll get me to get out the door as well for doing it but yeah it is hard at, at times but um, I suppose it's who you surround yourself by with as well that that helps Would you call that a setback? No I'm definitely not a setback because the race is still going to go ahead. I just don't know when it's going to go ahead. So I just have to be prepared for when it does go ahead. What would you class as a setback? If I was told they picked the wrong name. <laughs> yeah, or an injury? <laughs> or an injury, God forbid. Um, yeah, it would be an injury. Like going into Danity, I thought I wasn't going to get to the start line. Um, and I did. So. How would you deal with that? If I was told it was the wrong name. Well, no. <laughs> yeah, I don't like the look he gave me there. If you picked up an injury, so you were out running and you slipped off the footpath, I don't want to jinx you. But if your race ended because of that. Oh, I would be good at, yeah. It would be devastating. It would take a lot, I think, to get me through that, especially because if I'd done all the training and it happened um, and I knew I wasn't going to get there. Um, but I would get through it. I know I'd definitely get through it and then I'd just have to come back fighting stronger to, to get to the next one. I suppose when you I look at it now, I see that there's the Olympics is in doubt at the moment, but there was athletes there that were meant to do races that to qualify them to get into the marathon or to get into the the Olympics and they never got to do it because the races were cancelled. So like that's for the Olympics and they've gone and done all that training. So like, you know, for them, I emphasise with them for, for something like that as well. So you will get over it. And does that help you a little bit more because, you know, it's not just you, it's somebody else as well. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that you're not, a, it's not that the world is against you. It's there's a lot more people out there as well. So, so it's easier to accept. Exactly. Yeah. Next question. Steady and tempo runs. Would you do them in the a.m. or the p.m.? What is the best time of day and why? I'll let you answer that first and then I'll give my answer. I would say I would prefer to do it in the p.m. Um, because I've allowed myself to get properly fueled throughout that day um, so that when I go into that run, then um, I'll have enough kind of body fuel there to get me through it and give me the best best time. There's no need for me to answer. OK, so I'll get a gold star. Yeah, I'll go with that. <laughs> no, that, that's it exactly. Yeah. In the morning time, your body just isn't ready. It's not awake enough yeah. to be doing something like that. Um, the next question then I have is, um, for my long runs at present, do I do a midweek um, semi-long run and then at the weekend's long run, what distance uh, will I continue to cover while in maintenance mode for the new race date? Now that one I'll have to hand over to my coach because he's the one that's working on my, my plan at the moment. But yeah, I would have done, not say a midweek long run at present. So if the race was still going ahead, I'd normally do a long enough run on the Friday, probably about 20k at a steady pace. And then on the Saturday, it would depend. We have kind of three different long run sessions that we would do um, kind of mixes of paces. Um, so they can range anything from, I suppose, minimum 35k um, and it was going to lead up to a 50k um, long run, possibly. Um, but now with the, the new plan under construction, it's over to you, John. Yes. Well, with the midweek long run, we have in a way, built your plan around the club training sections as well. 
And that's something that has helped to bring you on, which is when you, you do the tempo run traditionally on a Wednesday. If you're training seven days a week, you're not really training seven days a week. You're training until you have the next day off. So if you don't take a day off, it's not seven days a week. It's 14 days or 21 days or you just keep going on and on. So we have put the medium distance long as we call it. We've slotted that into your plan on a day that allows you recovery from the tempo run and also means that you will be recovered before going into your long run. And the rule of thumb there is that the when you're doing a medium distance run or a long run, that as the runs get longer, the pace starts to get slower. So you do your harder stuff when you're with the club and on the track, you do sessions that bridge them together. And then you do the more specific stuff to your distance, which would be maybe Friday or Sunday. But your plan is in some way fitting around what the club sessions are because it's good for you mentally as well that you're not doing everything on your own. And then you get to do some high intensity stuff without having to think about what you're doing. You can use somebody else and it's, you know, kind of keeps that social aspect of it as well. Mm-hmm. Sounds good. Um, the next question we have is, what is my longest run that I will do before the Anglo-Celtic plate? And will I do it in one run or split it over two days? So in my training, current training plan, um, that's kind of been put a bit to the side. Um, I was going to do it over one session. Um, so I think the max was going to be a four hour um, kind of run at the weekend. Yes. And we don't know what distance that's going to be. No, because it's obviously it's four it's hours, so it's, a, it's more time now, based. Now, other runs that you're doing, they're based around distance and there's some are based around time. But there's yeah. one session you're doing where it has minutes at different paces mm-hmm. and that's in some way adaptable. So until you finish the session, you don't know how much distance you covered. Yeah. So that happened in the one about two weeks ago and I think I covered about 38k in that session. But yet when you look at it on paper, you don't think it's going to be that long. Because it was broken down into to times. Yeah, so the way you're training is you're looking to maximise on your strength and endurance, but not bring in too much fatigue. So by the time the race comes around, your legs will be conditioned enough to go the distance. The important part will be the fueling. It's a great way, I suppose, for practising your race day. Um, kind of your kit if you have it and whatever drinks or gels or food or whatever it is that you're you're going to do um, that's the perfect time to be doing it treated as if it's the race um, the next question that I have is do I do double days on steady tempo runs and if so which one is done first and how long and, and how long do I leave before the second run and how long is the steady tempo run well, I suppose I'll answer that and then you can tell me if anything else comes up on it. Well, for those days, no, I wouldn't do a double day on those days. Um, but if I was to do a double on those days, the second one would be a very, very easy recovery kind of small run. But in my plan at the moment, no, I don't have doubles on, on those days um, because obviously my tempo is in the evening time. So um, and then most of my studies are kind of in the evening times as well. So um, it wouldn't kind of make sense for me in my training plan to be be putting in a double but I do do double days for other kind of my easy kind of um, recovery days I do doubles on those days now I can say you're right and you're wrong until we put the context into it if you were doing it on a working day you couldn't do the tempo run as the first run the easy run would have to be the fourth run then the tempo run would be in the evening if it was at the weekend or a day off and you had time to to wake up properly then you can do the tempo run first and you can do the recovery run in the evening. Mm-hmm. So it depends on what else is going to happen during that day and what your availability is. So suppose you know your, yourself, uh, you had to think about maybe answering the question, but if you were to just do it, you would know yourself what's right and what's wrong. Exactly, yeah. It's common sense really. Yeah. And when you think about it, it's hard to really get it wrong. Yeah. And because there's no point in going in and rushing to do a tempo run and then kind of in a panic because that's where you're going to obviously to, to get injured. 
Um, and then I suppose for how long my steady and tempo runs would be like on Friday, I'd done a steady run and that was a 20k steady run. And um, for a tempo run at the moment, they're up to 12k's. I'm doing like 1k warm up, 10k tempo and a 1k cool down, but they can alternate. They could be 262, 242s, um, 110.1s that I'm doing at the moment. Um, so it kind of alternates. It just depends on, on the timing in the, in the plan when they come. So obviously the 242 would be kind of coming up to a race. Um, you'd do that one, but you'd flip it and you wouldn't do that one on the Wednesday. I'd do that on the Monday. Um, so it's all about kind of tailoring it in correctly into your plan. And then the longer the distance of the tempo, the slower the pace. And it never gets too long that it goes too far away from the tempo. So 10K is probably the longest that we will have it. And that's 10K is probably close to your half marathon pace or a bit faster. But 10K would not be at your 10K pace. And that's where you have to know what you're doing. That's great. All those questions there were from Sonia. So thanks for those, Sonia. Any more questions? No, that was the last one that I had, unless you have any questions. Well, my question would be, what did you do today? I done a track session today. So with all the, the isolation, um, I can't ring up my buddy to come out with me um, today. So what I done is I done a warm up. So I ran from my house up to our La track because I knew that there'd be nobody um, on it. Uh, well, or I was hoping that there'd be nobody on it. Um, and then I done a three by two K um, repeats and then I done a one K um, at a 5k pace now in between those 2k's I had a 3 minute um, recovery um, and then I had my cool down back from the track down to, to the house and what will you do tomorrow? tomorrow I'll do a recovery run um, probably in around the same distance so today I covered about 16k so I'll probably do something similar 10 to 16 of a recovery tomorrow nice and easy I'm trying to get used to this slower pace um, and I'm getting better at it I hope. Okay, well, I think that's quite a lot now. We will leave it at that. Yeah. And uh, we'll say thanks again, John. And until the next time. Thanks, John. Until our next training session. Last question being, what's your Instagram and Twitter account? If anybody wants to follow you, how can they contact you? Um, they can check me out on Instagram at Jantastic2 um, and also on Facebook and on Twitter. It's at Jantastic22 and or you can just search for the hashtag Jantastic Journey. And although this was our dedicated Q&A, if anyone has any more questions, actually sometimes questions lead on to questions. So we might have created some more questions and if anybody wants to send them on, they can do the same again. Just get in touch with yourself and the next time we get together, which we don't really know when, we can touch on those. Sounds like a plan. If you've enjoyed this or any of the other podcasts, you might consider leaving a review on Apple Podcasts or subscribe from any of the usual platforms. Thank you. 